And so today, your outline is actually your Bible. I want you to open your Bible. If you don't have one, we've conveniently provided one for you in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, I want you to feel free to take that Bible. If you already own a Bible and you take it, you're stealing. But, uh, but you, you go ahead and, and open that Bible up. And I want you to look with me in Genesis chapter 40 and leave it open because that's your outline for today. We start the chapter with Joseph in prison, and by the time we get to the end of the chapter, I don't want to do it, but here's a spoiler alert, he's still going to be in prison. It's an unusual chapter. It says this in verse 1, it came to pass after these things, I'm reading from the New King James, it came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker, So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, so they were in custody for a while. Now notice in verse 1, we meet two individuals that we've never met yet up to this point in the story of Joseph, and that is the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt. And when we talk about a butler, I don't want you to think about Sir Winston standing at the door in a tuxedo, opening the door for you. In fact, this term of butler used in the authorized version of the Bible has to do with a wine wine taster, a wine taster. (laughs) This, This is the guy that was to make sure that Pharaoh wasn't poisoned through his drink. Some translations refer to the butler as the cupbearer. And that's literally what his responsibility was. And of course, the baker was a baker. And they both ended up in prison at the same time. And you might ask, what did they do that both of them, the butler and the baker, would end up in prison at the same time? We don't know that. But almost every commentary, almost every source that I looked at, they all have agreed by acclamation that these guys were probably trying to poison Pharaoh. That would be the reason that they would be in prison together at this time. Were they in individual cells? We do not know. Was it one large room where all the prisoners gathered together? We're not sure of that. But somehow maybe they were trying to poison Pharaoh either through a drink or a biscuit or a pastry or something. The problem is the authorities do not yet know who's responsible. So they're holding both of them until they can get it figured out. And until they figure it out, they throw them in prison. Notice in verse 4 that we just read, there's a very interesting phrase. It says, and the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them. Remember, he was in charge of the whole prison. He has this amazing administrative ability. And the Lord was with him so that even in prison, he was raised up to a point of leadership. He's in prison. He's totally in charge. But what's really interesting in verse 4 for me are the last words at the end of the verse where it says, and he served them. If it's your Bible, would you underline that? And he served them. I want to focus on that phrase just for a moment. Isn't it remarkable how God's system works? When God raises someone up in leadership, when God raises someone up in authority, God has a plan for them that includes service. Joseph is top dog in that prison. He's running absolutely everything. I have a a friend here that attends church. I won't tell you his name, but I'll tell you his phone number in a moment. And and he is is the uh, officer in charge. And he got a new phone number once, and he said, how am I going to remember this phone number? 
and I took the phone number and I looked at it and it spelled top dog. <laughs> so I said, just know you're the top dog. Tell them to dial me 614 top dog and then zero because no one's on top of you more than that. You're the one. Well, Joseph was the top dog in this prison cell. He's running everything. Yet what does Joseph do? He serves these two brand new prisoners. And it comes back to the principle that the heart of a leader is to be a servant leader. The heart of someone that's going to be in charge. Service should never be separated from senior leadership. Regardless of who you are, what your position is. And when a leader of any kind, and I, when I say leader, I even mean Christians in the workplace. When you're wanting to lead others, for us to take a position to think that others are supposed to serve us, then we have it twisted. The heart of a servant is exemplified here in the life of Joseph. And wasn't it Jesus Christ who said, I've come not to be served, but to serve? And so Joseph has this servant's heart. Look with me in verse 5. It says, then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream. Both of them. Each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them, and saw that they were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? So do you get the picture? The butler and the baker are together in prison. They, one may not have known that the other one was even coming. They may be in separate cells near each other or in a community cell, as I said. But they wake up and one of them says, man, this is crazy. I had a very disturbing dream during the night. And the other said, you had a dream. I had a dream also. And they both had strange dreams on the same night. And it concerned them very much. They were troubled by them. And the text tells us what happens. Look in verse 6. It says, And Joseph came, Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? Now, on one hand, that's a hilarious question. What do you mean, why am I so sad today? I'm getting a piece of bread, a cup of water, and I'm locked up in a cold, dangy, dungy, Prison sale, Dumbo. Why do you think I'm sad? But, but then on the other hand, there is prison sadness, undoubtedly. Though I've not been in a prison myself, I receive letters from many, many prisoners who tell me how difficult that, that constant life of boredom can be in a prison situation. But what an amazing window this is for us to see the heart of Joseph, of who he really was deep down. Now, you would think that Joseph had enough problems of his own instead of worrying about a butler and a baker saying that they have a dream and it troubled him. Don't you think it would have been easy for Joseph to look at them when they said, I, I had a dream and I'm very sad for him to say, I can top that. Let me tell you a story. I grew up as a son of privilege in a very large family. I had everything. My ten brothers hated me so much, they beat me, and they almost murdered me. They threw me down in a hole, and then they decided to sell me to, as a slave to get money. And I was in this high guy's house in Egypt. Maybe you've heard of him. His name was Potiphar, and I served in Potiphar's house, and his bride tried to rape me. And I was thrown in prison because I resisted that. And I did the right thing. And I ended up here. You think you've got a reason to be sad? I've got many more reasons to be sad. 
Joseph could have taken that position, but he didn't. He looked at those men, and this is so beautiful, my brothers and sisters. He looked at those men. The Bible infers with a heart full of compassion. And he looks at them, and he says, hey, guys, this is a pastoral heart. Why are you so sad today? What's going on? Tell me about it. What's happening? Why do you look so sad? And maybe there's something so subtle in this part of the story that shows us something about Joseph that would remind us of Jesus. Scholars and theologians tell me that there are 50 parallels of Joseph and Jesus in the Bible. Joseph is the only man outside of Jesus that not one sin, not one bad thing is ever mentioned. Now, he was not Jesus, and for sure he sinned, because all have sinned. But the parallels are very good, and this would be one of them. He reached out to minister to them, and, and, and it becomes a type of Jesus. Don't you think Jesus did that for us? Don't you think that Jesus, when he came down to prison, a place we call earth compared to heaven, heaven by far is superior to this. The Bible reminds us that it's a place where we'll walk on streets of gold, where there's no night, where there's no sorrow, no suffering, for the former things are passed away. For Jesus to leave the portals of heaven and to come to planet earth, and to dwell in a prison and suffer beyond all understanding that you and I could possibly have because he cared for us. And yet Jesus never asked us once for pity. Even though he suffered more than any of us, he never asked, won't you feel sorry for me? Instead, what is the heart of our Savior? He looks at you this morning if you're sad and, 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 and if you're downcast and if you're discouraged. And I know that today you have your good church face on, and I appreciate that very much. But deep down on the inside, where no one else can see except you and Jesus, he knows what you're going through. He knows what you're facing. And it's beautiful that Jesus loves each of us that much today to care for us. His love is here. And he's waiting for you to fulfill what Matthew eleven twenty eight says that I repeat to you so often. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And many of you know this. You can push it away. You have. You can reject it. You've been doing so for a long time. But it's there. And it's there for you. And the reason that you don't have it, it might be a simple reason. Maybe you just haven't pulled the trigger yet. Maybe you haven't said today's the day to receive that. Or it may be a complicated reason. Maybe there's been something in your past related to the church or a relationship or something that's caused something to build up on the inside of you. And for some reason, you're pushing the love of God away. But the heart and the compassion of Jesus Christ this morning is to look at you and say, why are you sad? I really care about you. I want to help you with this difficulty. Please remember that. Look with me now in verse 8. It says, he says, why are you so sad? And they said to him, we each have had a dream, and there's no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. And I want you to notice something. It isn't just idle curiosity like I had a dream and I wonder what it means. We've all done that. We've awakened in the morning and said, I dreamed the craziest thing last night. I, I wonder what that was about. But these men were really troubled by their dreams. They were downcast, the Bible says. There was something there that troubled them so much they needed to get it resolved. And so Joseph spoke up because he understood being an interpreter of dreams himself. And he said, Does, don't interpretations belong to God? 
And Joseph has had some familiarity with dreams, hasn't he? God gave him those two remarkable dreams when he was a young man that he shared, and, and maybe unwisely, but he shared those dreams with his family that, about his eventual exaltation above his brothers. So he said, I think I've got a little experience here, and I want to take a moment to interpret it for you if you'll share it with me. I don't know what you think about dreams today. For the most part, we're trained and educated to believe that it's just either something that happens because of the busyness of our mind or something that because we have troubled sleep that we don't understand. But I want to introduce you to something about dreams that maybe you haven't thought of before. And that is that God can speak to you today through dreams. One of the reasons God may choose and elect to speak to you today through dreams, and I don't mean this as a joke, though it is funny, is that we're too busy to listen to him during the day. Our lives are so filled with stuff, so many things, that the only time God can get our attention is when we're sound asleep. And that's not the only way he will speak, but it's many passages in the Bible that would verify this. Did you know that God spoke to a pagan ruler by the name of Abimelech in Genesis chapter 20 regarding Abraham's life in a dream? God spoke to Jacob through a dream. God spoke to Uncle Laban through a dream. God spoke to the Midianite in Gideon's day in a dream. God spoke to Nebuchadnezzar, you remember, in a dream. God spoke to Daniel in a dream. God spoke to Joseph several times in dreams. God even spoke to Pilate's wife in a dream to be careful how Pilate would treat this man, Jesus Christ. And you know what's interesting about these examples? When you look at the specific examples of who God spoke to through a dream, almost two to one, the people being spoken to were unbelievers. They weren't Christians. They were pagans. God was getting their attention through a dream. And that is something fascinating that we're seeing going on in the world today, that God can speak to unbelievers. I don't know if you've heard about this. It's quite fascinating. But we have many, many confirmed reports in the Muslim world that God is moving among Muslims, speaking to them in dreams about Jesus Christ. And though each dream may be different in each case, a very common pattern is that Jesus Christ himself appears to them in a dream and says... I'm Jesus, and I want you to go to a certain place and meet a person, and they're going to tell you more about me. And the accounts, are, they vary somewhat, but as I understand it, they virtually all have the following aspects in common. Number one, Jesus appears to them. Number two, Jesus tells them to find and speak to a person at a certain place at a certain time. Number three, when the Muslim follows Jesus' instruction, he or she finds the person at exactly the right time and place, and the person explains who Jesus truly is and presents the gospel. <coughs> Excuse me. And number four, the Muslim believes that Jesus is Messiah and Savior and places his faith in him, renouncing Islam. I mean, that is just an amazing thing. So the question is today, what are Christians to make of such claims? And I didn't get that out of the National Enquirer. I have documented that in multiple sources. It's happening in mass numbers that in America we're not even aware of. I want you to know this. The Bible makes it very clear that God can speak through dreams, but it's equally important to acknowledge and affirm that not every dream is a revelation from God. 
There are evil seducers that would have dreams and people that claim they, they speak for God. I remember one time debating a, a Satanist and a psychic on the Morton Downey show in the mid-1980s. And they were sure saying that the word that they had for people was correct. But it may have been correct, but it was not of God. It was evil in what they were doing. And dreams can come that are so jumbled and nonsensical because our minds are busy. And the Bible tells us that. In Ecclesiastes 5, before you think every dream is from God, notice what it says on the screen in verse 3. A dream comes when there are many cares. For in the multitude of dreams and many words, there is also vanity. And your dreams don't always mean something. Sometimes they're, they're just there because your mind is so busy. But maybe after the pattern of the butler and the baker, there's a specific dream that's more than just a dream. And it troubles you and it doesn't go away. Maybe you're in the process of having a Damascus Road experience. Do you remember the Apostle Paul considering what happened to him? There's no reason to doubt that God can't do it again. In Acts chapter 9, you'll recall that Jesus appeared to Paul in a vision and told Paul to go to Damascus and wait. And Jesus goes and waits for Ananias, and Jesus sent Ananias to Paul. And Ananias explained the gospel to Paul, and Saul became Paul and became a Christian. Paul's life was transformed. Paul professionally was a hunter. We're in hunting season. Only he hunted Christians. His goal was to lock them up, to dismantle this new movement of Christ followers. And Jesus Christ so transformed him, his sins were forgiven, and he became the number one warrior and champion for the cause of Jesus Christ in the Roman world. And any method God chooses to speak to us, through, whether through a dream or a vision or an impression or the still small voice of the Holy Spirit, we have to agree completely that all of that needs to match up with what he has already revealed in his word. The Bible says in Hebrews 1.1, in times past and in sundry ways, God spoke to us through the prophets of old, but in these days has spoken to us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the word of God. The most important way that you will hear from God, if you're wanting to hear from God, you say, I want to hear from him, you get in that Bible, you get in that word, you study it, you devour it, you say, you prepare your heart, say, God, speak to me. When you read about characters and are put your name in that place, it says, and the Lord went to him. Say, the Lord appeared to John. The Lord appeared to Susie. Whatever your name is. And, and make it personal so you can understand it. And if you have a dream that you think God's given you, you prayerfully examine the word of God. Now listen, one of the most important things I will say to you today, right now, is this. You make sure that dream aligns with the word of God. If it's new, John Wesley said, it isn't true. And if it's true... It isn't new. And when he speaks to us, his message is clearly understood. It's the way God wants us to understand him himself speaking to us. And we put emphasis on one thing as believers and students of the word of God. We judge everything spiritually by the book, by the Bible. So when someone tells you something, when someone tells you, for an example, God told me to leave my husband to go with another man, you know that was gas and not God. God is never going to contradict his word. The Bible says in Malachi 2, I, the Lord your God, hate divorce. doesn't mean that divorce doesn't happen. It doesn't mean that there aren't maybe that exception cause. 
But when you say that God told me to do something that you know and he knows is sinful, then it's never okay to put that out. Your amens are thrilling me. All right, let's go on. I'll go preach to the Methodists. They'll listen to me. Look at verse 9 with me, if you would. It says, Then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches. It was as though it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Now the dream was of compressing and, or the making of wine. The whole process, taking the cluster of grapes and squeezing it, and he pours it into Pharaoh's cup and presents it to him. And so the butler said, that's my dream, Joseph. What do you make of it? And verse 12, the first part, is Joseph's interpretation of this dream. Watch this. It says, and Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. But remember me when it is well with you, and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh, and get me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews, and also I have done nothing here that should put me into this dungeon. Wow, he got human on us, didn't he? It's fascinating. I want you to notice the interpretation of the dream was from God. Didn't Joseph tell them interpretations are from God? And when Joseph said that the, the three branches were three days, how could he have known that unless God revealed it to him? Why could it not have been three weeks or three months or even three years? The interpretation was of God, and God's the one that said, Joseph, the branches are three days. And he goes on and clearly gives the explanation. In three days, Mr. Butler, you are going to go back and serve Pharaoh again. It's amazing that Joseph is bold enough to give an interpretation that could be proven wrong in 72 hours, in three short days. It's not a vague interpretation that someday a tall man dressed in dark will come to you and guide you down this path. Look for him somewhere, somehow, someday. But very specific. Three days from now, it's going to happen. And in three days, people are really going to know if Joseph is speaking on behalf of the Lord or not. But then it says in verse 14, notice again, but would you remember me when it's well with you? And please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. There you see it, something very human and something very pragmatic about Joseph that perhaps doesn't show up before. Joseph asked the butler to work toward his release. J Joseph was in prison and God was with him. But Joseph said, listen, I want to get out of here. I know God is with me, but I want to better my life. I want to be in a better place. I want to be able to serve him more fully than right here. And guys, right now, God may have you in an unpleasant circumstance, and God may be with you in it, but it doesn't mean that he wants you to be there forever. People, young preachers especially, ask me, Frank, what is God's will for my life? I always go back to Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, about the godly. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly or sit in the seat of scorners. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, who brings forth his fruit in his season. Listen to this. And whatsoever he does shall prosper. 
That if you do what God's calling you to do, God will be with you whenever and wherever you're at. And it may be in a season. And if you're in a tough spot right now, you must know this. That doesn't mean that God wants you in that tough spot forever. And Joseph was using some sanctified common sense, I believe. Here's the opportunity. Mr. Butler, when you're relieved, and I know you will be released because God told me you're going to be released. Remember me when you get out of this place. It was very wise and very godly request. Now, dream number two. Look in verse 16 with me. The baker. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I also was in my dream, and there, look how he said it, I was in my dream. Have you ever been in your dream? It's dreaming, it's like you're walking through it. It's like you're in a, the, the twilight zone. Third, third dimension stuff. He said, I was in my dream, and there were three white baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. So Joseph answered and said, okay, this is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh from you. I mean, what makes these verses so tragic is because of the way verse 16 begins. Look at the beginning of verse 16. It says, when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good. <laughs> He's thinking, Zazam, this worked out real well for the butler. I bet it's going to go well for me too. This is good. This is Joseph, jo, you know, the Olstein guy preaching. This, everything is good. This is, I can't think of his first name, Joel. He's my, he's my buddy. You know, this is my best life now. This is good as it's going to get. He's saying things worked out so well for the butler. I had a dream. I can't wait for him to tell me. And he excitedly tells Joseph about the baskets and excitedly tells him about the bread. And then said, tell me, Joseph. And then Joseph said, my friend, I have some very bad news for you. The three baskets are three days. And in three days, you're going to be hung from your neck. And the birds of the air are going to come and eat your body. You're going to be convicted of this crime. Let me tell you what's amazing about this to me. Joseph was as faithful to deliver the hard message as he was to deliver the fun message. He was as faithful to tell the truth in all circumstances. The truth is, I would much rather preach the butler sermon than the baker sermon. I can get more amens, more shazam. They're called sugar sticks. Preachers can give them out. They're wonderful things, and they're true. It's a lot easier to say, hey, everything is going to be good, that, that it's going to be wonderful for everyone. A chicken in every pot, a car in every garage, everything's coming up roses. It's just going to be great. But listen, there's also a place that preachers must preach the baker's sermon. There's also a place you must tell your loved ones the truth, speaking the truth in love. I mean, isn't there a place where with great compassion we tell lost men and women who are guilty before God and solemnly warn them that there's not only a heaven to gain, but there's a hell to shun? Isn't it faithful and right to do that? And I know we don't hear that a lot today. People don't want to hear it. But if it's true, if it's in the Bible, and if I want to be a faithful messenger of the Word of God, if you want to be a faithful witness to God and His Word... You must from time to time stand, and no one wants to do it in a judgmental tone. You don't ever want to do it with your finger pointed out to someone like you're almost getting joy out of telling them of their sinful situation. No one wants to do that. 
but as humbly as you can, and maybe even with pain in your voice, you say, my dear friend, I want you to know that the way this world is leading you is going to end up in total destruction. And, and heaven and hell are real. And the life that you live on this earth, it's not forever. And the truth of the matter is the greater portion of your existence is going to happen on the other side of eternity than it is on this side of eternity. And, and what you do in this life regarding Jesus Christ, whether you accept him or reject him, everything matters in the world beyond based on the decision that you make right here. And what you do with Jesus Christ, the fact that he died as a substitute for our sins. He took all of our sins upon him. Romans 5, 8 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he took all of that shame and all of that guilt that you and I deserve. And he says, now I offer you salvation in my name. If you'll stop looking to yourself for your rescue. If you'll stop looking to anything else or anyone else, if you'll look to me and put your trust in me and repent of your sins and put your confidence in me, you will be rescued, not only in this life, but in the age to come. But if you don't, then the baker's message applies to you. Eternity separated and apart from God is a place of torment that the Bible very clearly and specifically calls hell. And you know what? That's a tough message to deliver. But I imagine as Joseph is bringing this message and he tells the butler the good news, there's undoubtedly a smile on his face. Things are going to be great in three days. But when he tells the baker the news, in the same room, just like in a room like this, some people hearing the good news and some people in tears and torment, same room, same time, same service, the baker's eyes are filling with tears. And Joseph says, I, I, I don't delight in this, but I need to be faithful messenger to you. It does me no good to tell you that things are smooth and good. It'd be like a, a patient whose body is filled with cancer going to a doctor. And the doctor says, oh, you're doing good. Come back in six months or a year from now for your annual checkup. Everything is good when he knows that's not the truth. And tru the truth of the matter is there are many preachers today, not only televangelists, but in local churches today who will preach the butler's sermon, but they're unwilling to preach the baker's sermon. And if you move away from this church, wherever you go, I don't care what the name is on the door, you be very careful of two things. Number one, that they believe the Bible is the word of God. And number two, they preach the whole counsel of that word. Let's see what happens at the end of chapter. Look in verse 20. Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday. Oh, wow. That he made a feast for all his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again. And he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph but forgot him. Now guys really verse 20 is pretty heavy. On the third day, it came to pass, just as Joseph said it would, the loaves and the branches represent the very same thing. They represent three days. It's Pharaoh's party. And the butler is saying, yeah, this is just the way Joseph said it was going to be. And the baker is saying, hey, I guess Joseph was wrong. I've been invited to the party right along with the butler. The only difference is the men at the gate that met them, the one guy took the baker, the butler, into the party, and the guy that met the baker was the hangman. And it turned out exactly the way Joseph said it would. 
the message of God and the word of God were completely true, and it always will be. Just because it hasn't happened yet, just because you haven't seen the fulfillment of what God has promised and what God has said, doesn't mean that in the fullness of time that God will not bring about everything that he said he would. Do you like to see yourself in the pages of the Bible? You read it and say, oh, you know, am am I that person? Do, Do I see that? Let me ask you a personal question. Do you see yourself in Genesis chapter 40? And if you do, who do you see yourself as? You say, Frank, well, quite frankly, I like to fancy myself as Joseph. I can can see myself as Joseph speaking forth the oracles of God, having a compassionate voice for the sad, and that's good. There's something about the life of Joseph that each one of us can learn and glean from and grow more in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ because I want to be used by God, and so do you. We want to make a difference on this earth. We want to be his messengers. We want to be compassionate servants who meet people in the midst of their sadness, even when we have a greater reason to be sad. We put our sadness aside so we can minister to them. You want to be more like Joseph. There's room to do that. But in a greater sense, I think each of us are more like the butler and the baker. You see, think about this. An innocent man came into that prison cell. An innocent man who had done nothing wrong and shared our condition with us. And that innocent prisoner shared God's message to us. And then the innocent one was proved to be true after three days. Wasn't Jesus proved to be true after three days? If you put me down, in three days I will rise again. And in three specific days, he came out of that grave. And Joseph shows us Jesus. The message of Jesus does one of two things. It either brings life or it brings death. Same message, two different results. It either breaks our chains or it represents the chains that hold us down, that are not broken. And if the message of Jesus is accepted, it brings life. If the message of Jesus is rejected, I'll be honest with you, it brings death. Just like the message that Joseph delivered. And that's where we are in the message. If you're here today and you want to hear from God, don't just ask for a dream, but I want to encourage you to look to Jesus. Jesus is God's messenger. So read the Bible because Jesus is described and filled in every page as the very word of God. And not only read it, do more than that. I want to encourage you as you go home this week, if you want to hear from God, think about Jesus. Think about what he has done in your life. Think about what he means to you in a personal relationship who he was, what he did. Think about Jesus as you read the Bible. And also, I know this is a stretch, but you can also memorize Scripture. We don't talk much today about Scripture memorization. When I was a young adult as a Christian, every ministry group was handing out Bible memorization cards. We say, you know, remember these this week, and people would have index cards, and they would remember a Bible verse. You say, why would you do it? Because the Bible says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. There's something mighty good about being able to pull it up. Because when you're being tempted in the middle of the night to do something wrong, Satan is not going to wait till you go home and get a concordance and look up that chapter and verse. But if it's in your heart, you can call it out and be before the Lord. You say, well, Frank, I just can't memorize things anymore. Oh, hogwash. That's a Greek word for puke. Listen. You can remember all the Taylor Swift songs that are causing the internet to crash this week because you can't get a ticket to the concert. (laughs) Glory to God. (laughs) Enough said. 
the truth is we memorize all sorts of stuff. And, and let me give you a special word. Uh, a lot of you today maybe feel badly because, you know, you put a lot of bad stuff in your head. And, and you feel bad about that. And my point isn't to make you feel bad about what's happened up to now. My point is to tell you you're going to do something about that. If you want to counteract some of that stuff that's in your head, start memorizing the Word of God. Start reading the Word of God. Claim the promises in the Word of God. Understand what Jesus is doing for you. And here's the great takeaway. We talked about the similarity of Joseph and Jesus and that there are 50 parallels of Joseph and jo that word in Jesus. I want to share with you the contrast between Joseph and Jesus. Here's the contrast. Joseph's message was good news for an innocent man. The guilty man had no chance. There was no good news for him. You want to know the great thing about the message of Jesus? The good people, we get that. But what about the people that are not so good? What about the message of Jesus that? How about all of us who fit in that group? And then you say, how do I know if I fit in it? Here's how, Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What about us? The good news is that the good news is good for the guilty also. That makes Jesus specific and different from every other character in biblical history and the history of the entire world. You can come to Jesus black as night. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You can come to Jesus as guilty as anything, and he will forgive you and cleanse you and restore you and receive you. The Bible says he'll remove our sins as far as the east is from the west, that he'll remember them no more, that he'll put up a sign in your life to the devil, no fishing in here anymore. This child belongs to me. And God will be with us in all of that. And it's good news for the guilty as well as the innocent. And today, if you're sad or if you're bad, you can leave this room being very glad because of Jesus Christ.